Thanks for tuning in. I'm Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. In this episode, the American Bar Association refuses to endorse overturning centuries of criminal due process precedents for now. The feds get a break in the United Auto Workers spiraling corruption scandal, and Representative Joaquin Castro demonstrates why donor privacy is important. By 256 to 165, the American Bar Association House of Delegates, the governing body of the pressure group of lawyers responsible for accrediting law schools, tabled a measure to urge state legislators to adopt the, quote, yes means yes, affirmative consent standard in criminal sexual assault proceedings. Prior to an aggressive campaign by criminal defense attorneys, more on that in a moment, the measure, backed by progressive activists in the American Bar Association's Commission on Domestic and Sexual Violence, seemed almost certain to pass. However, the National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers and Defense Attorneys with Commentary Platforms, one of whom, Scott Greenfield, flatly stated that adopting the standard would, quote, result in the conviction of innocent men, objected to the resolution. The principal objection centered on the resolution's sifting of the burden of proof from the government, which under current law must prove the defendant did not have consent to the accused, who would have to affirmatively prove he received, quote, assent expressed by words or actions. This is an inversion of the presumption of innocence that underlies American criminal law. The defense lawyers wrote that affirmative consent is a, quote, radical change in the law, quote, that assumes guilt in the absence of any evidence regarding consent, merely upon evidence of a sex act with nothing more. Another objection targeted the activist's misrepresentation of a debate over a similar proposal by the American Law Institute, a legal scholarship group that publishes the influential model penal code. American Law Institute had rejected affirmative consent in favor of a consent definition consistent with longstanding due process protections. Backers of the ABA resolution suggested the debate was still live. More than 100 American Law Institute members signed an open letter affirming that ALI had rejected the affirmative consent standard. The resolution was modeled on the controversial campus adjudication standards in sexual misconduct discipline. Numerous judges have overturned campus discipline under affirmative consent for improperly placing the burdens of proof on the defendant. While tabling the affirmative consent resolution does not mean it cannot come back, academic and legal commentator Casey Johnson wrote that it, quote, all but ensures that some proposal on the issue will appear before the ABA again, refusing to adopt the standard keeps the American Bar Association on the correct side of due process, at least for now. We have periodically checked in with the ongoing investigation and legal fallout from a wide-ranging federal investigation into the United Auto Workers Labor Union. And now the feds have charged another six-figure salaried union big shot. Michael Grimes, formerly administrative assistant to a UAW vice president, was charged in a criminal information with receiving nearly $2 million in kickbacks from union vendors. According to reports filed with the Department of Labor, the UAW paid Grimes $140,167 in gross salary in 2017 the last full year he worked for the union. Grimes is the ninth person charged in the investigation related to the federal investigation into the UAW, which was kicked off by allegations about kickbacks in a training center jointly managed by the union and officials at Fiat Chrysler Automobiles. Fiat Chrysler Automobiles officials reportedly used kickbacks and perks to keep the union officers fat, dumb, and happy. But Grimes's charges go beyond the Fiat Chrysler training center scheme. Grimes is the first person charged in the investigation from the UAW's General Motors division. Grimes allegedly was part of a self-dealing and kickback racket involving the UAW-branded merchandise, most prominently 23,000 commemorative watches. The government alleged that Grimes demanded a loan from the watch vendor to buy property in Michigan. The watch vendor allegedly secured a $60,000 mortgage and paid Grimes thousands of dollars each month, ostensibly for consulting, 
until Grimes left the UAW. Grimes also allegedly demanded six-figure kickbacks from a vendor who produced UAW GM division-branded jackets. The government alleged that a second unnamed union official directed the kickback payments stop once the government's investigations into the Fiat Chrysler division became public. Grimes has yet to enter a plea. Reports from the Detroit News and Detroit Free Press suggested the form of the charging instrument indicated the government expects Grimes to plead guilty, but he is of course innocent until found guilty in a court of law. U.S. Representative Joaquin Castro, brother of Obama administration cabinet official and presidential candidate Juan Castro, posted a list of contributors from his San Antonio-based district to President Donald Trump's re-election campaign, including their occupations and employers, while singling them out for, quote, fueling a campaign of hate. Whether or not the tweet amounts to doxing, revealing private information on the internet, is a pointless semantic argument that isn't relevant to the wrongness of what Representative Castro did. Current law requires the FEC to collect from contributors who make contributions of more than $200 to a candidate in an election cycle, their names, occupations, and employers. That said, a government official, like a congressman whose family member is running for president, sending the message, nice political contribution you made to the incumbent president's campaign you got there, shame if anybody knew about it, is not a sign of a healthy politics. People Castro named were not billionaires or major public figures. They were perhaps more economically well-off than normal, but otherwise normal people involved in the ordinary operation of the two-party system, with jobs, or even who were retired or homemakers. Indeed, Castro inadvertently targeted at least six contributors, either to his own campaigns or to his brother's various campaigns. Julian Castro was mayor of San Antonio before joining the Obama administration, which can be taken as proof positive that even donating money to a candidate is far from an endorsement of every single thing that candidate stands for or has said. But by targeting supporters of the man his brother desires to unseat, Representative Castro made an inadvertent case for donor privacy. Bradley Smith of the Institute for Free Speech wrote at National Review, quote, Laws mandating disclosure of campaign contributions were originally intended to ensure that contributions were on the up-and-up, but they have been turned upside down in today's take-no-prisoners political climate. Politicians now use disclosure to monitor and police the views of American citizens, calling into question the wisdom of allowing government to surveil so much of our political activity. While this sort of monitoring policing is only available for politicians to target donors to candidates now, House Democrats' For the People Act would expand such disclosures to independent speech related to elections and put the regulation of such speech under control of a more partisan body than today's evenly divided by rule FEC. Representative Castro may have simply imprudently demonstrated what his colleagues want to spread to the rest of American political advocacy. That's our show for this week. If you're listening to this on YouTube, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. We'll see you next week.